Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss They Ransomware. The Domain Tools research team has updated its much-heralded reporting on the most prolific ransomware families. There's intrigue, there's treachery, there's tomfoolery, plus our hosts share their cybersecurity gold, guidance, and grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 157, recorded on June 12th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Tim. That's my name. Don't ransom wear it out. Helming. With me, co-host Sean Mighty Mighty Blockchain McNee. And last but not least, special guest Sasha. Yes, I know your dog is named Sasha Angus of Scylla Intel. Welcome, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Great yeah. to be with you. Really glad yes. to be here. Sasha, it's really great to have you on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you about this this story um, and the research that you've done. So for folks that don't know, um, we have collaborated with Scylla Intel, we over on the domain tools side of the house. Um, and uh, so Sasha's got some really good insights, as you will hear, into kind of all things InfoSec and activity groups and ransomware and whatnot. So really looking forward to the conversation this week. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Absolutely did. Yep. Had a wonderful time out in the sun. Yeah. Here in the Pacific Northwest, um, it uh, did it did clear up, especially uh, yesterday. A little cloudy on Saturday. We get a little bit of June gloom around here. We know that folks in California sometimes get that too. But I think we were all awfully relieved that we weren't enduring the Mars-like scenes of uh, wildfire smoke in the Northeast. So that was a that was a blessing. Yeah, we may get it later on. Knock on wood, that's not burning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's go ahead and dive into our single story this week. You know, longtime listeners will know that we usually pick two InfoSec stories each week, but there's enough in this one and, and uh, this being research that's coming from our own folks that we decided to devote a full episode to this. So... A couple of years ago, as some of you may recall, Domain Tools Research provided a widely lauded research piece on the most prolific ransomware families, which included a pretty nifty infographic along with it. Well, as you probably know, the world's changed since then. We've talked about some of those changes in other episodes of Breaking Badness. And so a recent blog on the Domain Tools site, which you can find, uh, and we will also link to it in the show notes, that blog catches us up on what's going on. So the most prolific ransomware families, family can be a somewhat amorphous construct in any uh, situation, but especially when it's being used metaphorically. So let's set the stage for the rest of this discussion by talking briefly about how we determine whether a malware variant or an actor or TTP or any or of any or all of the above get classified as part of a ransomware family, particularly if the item in question isn't being explicitly branded as such by its authors, which obviously branding is a big part of the whole ransomware story. But Sasha, what how do we how do we determine that? How do we decide whether something's part of a ransomware family? And some of this may be fairly basic uh, level stuff, but we have some 
listeners who may not be as familiar with how we classify these things. Yeah, Tim, and that's something that I know has changed a lot over the last, say, four or five years, where the affiliate models that a number of these groups have adopted um, makes that a, a more challenging exercise. And so historically, when you looked at things like TrickBot, for example, uh, TrickBot was a piece of malware that uh, was associated with, obviously, the group. Uh, and so as you go through those, you really need to understand what the tools are versus what the organizations are. And so having a good understanding of, of which firm, like which groups use affiliate models, which groups use certain tools more prolifically than others uh, is really important because as you get affiliates either moving from group to group uh, based on better payouts or better technology, um, it can kind of muddy the waters a bit. And so from that perspective, um, there are certain TTPs that, uh, that certain ransomware families use that are, are more aligned with them. But it's really important to understand that from a, uh, an ongoing perspective because um, folks and actors within the groups will change. Um, they will change their TTPs based on what types of attacks are, are being, um, I guess, the most successful for them. And so on an ongoing basis, it's one of the things I know the industry spends a lot of time on, which is understanding which groups are associated with what uh, and how you can, how you can sort of char uh, characterize the, their activities going forward. Yeah, and that's helpful for you to figure out kind of how to align your defenses and your um, uh, intel orientation based on what you see as a threat or what the world sees as a pretty prolific threat that may uh, potentially impact any organization. So uh, very good. So in the case of the blog um, that folks are going to take a look at hopefully here um what how do we uh how do we define it is it mainly oriented around the groups um as as the baseline and then it talks about which uh tools they use or tell us just a little bit about what they can expect when they read the report sure it's it's actually centered around victimology and so as part of the sort of evolution of a lot of the ransomware families they have a They've had a sort of a, a multi-prong approach now. Um, typically, it's been they encrypt your network, they send you a note, and they um, try to persuade you to obviously pay to get that data back. Um, what you've seen over the last number of years is a second stage, which is sort of like the name and shame, which is if you don't do that within a certain time frame, a lot of them now have uh, blog posts where they will list your company as one of their victims. Uh, and so that's probably the clearest way to understand which activity, like what activity is being conducted against whom, uh, by which family. And so that's, that's how we took the, the approach of understanding which groups are technically most proficient, like prolific and how to, um, how to sort of align their, their activities with, um, with the, the victimology that we're seeing. Got it. Okay. So that's great. Now, in terms of the groups themselves, um, why is it that we see these outfits rebranding and doing that very publicly when things like arrests are made or shutdowns occur? So the reason I'm asking that is you can think that if these groups actually are able to regroup and then continue or restart their operations, well, wouldn't it be more of a statement kind of in your face to say, hey, you thought you shut us down, but we're still here and we're stronger than ever and do that under their original brand instead of uh, forming these new brands. Sean, what's the, 
What are your thoughts about that? Uh, not that you've probably interviewed these folks to ask them, but uh, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of cases of that. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversation about this because it's it's odd, right? So if we assume that these groups have a goal to be financially stable or to grow their financial profits, right? Then you'd assume that a quote unquote quality brand would be useful for them, right? Part of a business marketing, if you think of this as a traditional business. Yeah, right? when we always talk about how much they kind of resemble legit businesses in an upside down sort of way. Yes. Yeah, so if you have a good brand, right? So if you think, go back to, to Conti, right? People are like, oh, Conti, right? That's That name strikes fear into the victims to, to make them want to pay quicker for, for better or for worse, right? Or right. having a good brand, you know, if you're in the affiliate model and your brand is known for not only developing high quality, again, quotation marks around quality, bits of ransomware and then providing support and services to the affiliates, then people want to work with you, people do their ransomware operations and they make money. But uh, the concern is, is, well, you start to establish this strong brand, you start going after larger and larger payouts, you go after different types of places to attack, and you get to very large kinds of attacks. So something like the Colonial Pipeline attack or the JBL Foods attack where they took out a bunch of meat processing plants. And now you have not just companies interested, but you have nations. You have very, very large, powerful organizations saying, hey, what's going on here? So you're starting to get a lot of unwanted attention from the authorities when you get too popular, when you have too much of a brand. So you know, rebranding is a way to say, oh, well, I've got a bunch of people, we're hanging out, we're doing well, but there's too much heat on us. Maybe we'll all just uh, take a break, spend some of our dollars on the beach or do something else for a while and then regroup in a little bit under a new name with slightly different tech and nobody knows if it's the same group. Maybe we'll bring a couple of my new friends in. Maybe somebody wants to retire. It's kind of this evolution. Yeah, and to, to echo what Sean was saying, I think one of the, like, the first examples of that was Revil, um, or R-Evil, which was um, sanctioned by the US, um, the US government uh, a number of years ago under the OFAC uh, sanctions list. And that's where, um, they needed to rebrand because the um, the concern that they would have would be that companies who are the victims um, would be uh, it would be illegal for them to pay. And so, one of the earliest examples of that rebranding was trying to rebrand so that um, that any victimology in the future could arguably um, it would not impact their propensity to pay. That's a really good point. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, thank you for that. So thinking about some of the other things that folks are going to read in the blog. So right at the top in the summary, it says, uh, I'm quoting, external forces have had a significant impact in reshaping the ransomware landscape. So what external forces are we talking about? And uh, are they still, by definition of force, mass times acceleration? Sean, go ahead. Uh, always the physics joke. I love it. <laughs> Uh, my other favorite physicist joke is always to say, 
hey, what's new? The answer is, of course, C over lambda. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, let's talk about some of these external forces. So um, the nexus of the ransomware groups that, of course, we are talking about in this report are Russian-affiliated and or Russian-speaking. So uh, what uh, external forces has significant impact on the shaping of the landscape? Well, as a reminder, uh, on Thursday, February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, as it turns out, many of these groups had people in these groups, both across Russia, across Ukraine, and other countries in the region. And up until that point, they were all working together to you know, attack companies in the West. But this invasion changed everything. And inside these groups, we saw some people questioning, some people having real concerns about what was happening, uh, divisions, discord. Um, it was uh, a notable ripple, not just across Ukraine as uh, a country, but also inside these ransomware groups. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And so in the, in the details of the report, of course, you can see more about how those things played out. But uh, there was a reference to this uh, a second ago, but one of the major events that's named in the blog is the Conti Leaks episode. So I'm sure that name rings a bell for most of our listeners, if not all. But, you know, for those for whom that bell that it rings might be kind of faint. Uh, Sasha, can you give a quick review of what the Conti Leaks episode was all about? Sure. Yeah. And so, um, as Sean mentioned, obviously, just after the, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, there was a lot of hyperbole and it was, it was interesting to see Conti, uh, in particular, which was typically very business centric, um, sort of organization. They didn't take political stands. Um, somebody within the organization, and it's hard to say who, uh, decided shortly thereafter to come up with a fairly strong political statement around their support for Russia. Uh, and reciprocally, um, any any attacks that they could provide against the West uh, in order to sort of dissuade the West from uh, obviously um, taking the actions that they have taken. Um, that blog post that they put up uh, lasted hours. Uh, and I think what you saw was um, a lot of probably internal dissension, uh, not only from members of the organization that were not Russian, um, but also I think they really recognized that that this type of statement is not in their business interests. They want to be able to conduct business. They want to make revenue. Uh, and so within hours, uh, they tried to walk it back. That didn't really have, I think, the impact that they were hoping for, where um, a member and or a researcher um, who was privy to a lot of these, like their infrastructure, started dumping on mass internal chats, a whole host of different IOCs around uh, the Conti organization. That was uh, just a boon for, for researchers and for folks who were defending against them because it really gave you a sort of an unparalleled uh, insight into the types of organizations that they are, Conti in particular, uh, and how they operate. And so that ultimately was, was probably the sort of the nail in the coffin of Conti as a, as a brand and organization. Uh, and so that was, again, something that was a a major inflection point for one of the largest ransomware groups at the time. Now, it is also worth noting that 
even after these uh, the leaks happened, you know, Conti still had like one last hurrah, which was their uh, uh, hacks into Costa Rica that happened, you know, in 2022. But you know, a lot of people feel like maybe those were already kind of in planned or in the works by the time the leaks happened, and this was just kind of the last thing they publicized before they disappeared. But you know, to me, I feel like the Conti leaks just caused the entire organization to kind of self-implode. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating to see. Yeah. Around that. Uh, and as an aside, who attacks Costa Rica? I mean, come on. It's like the friendliest country. They're so nice. So, all right. So shifting a little bit to the question of uh, actual tools and wares, Lockbit has gained quite a lot of potency over the last couple of years. So, Sasha, what is it that makes Lockbit so prominent and so effective? I think it's like any business, which is, um, as again, when you're looking for market share, you're looking to obviously reinvest in your business. And the types of returns that these ransomware families get, unfortunately, are substantial. Uh, and so, in the industry, there's, there's various versions of Lockbit that are out there, like version 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0 now. Um, those are obviously efforts for that of, on their part to innovate and continue to make sure that the tool and the service that they provide uh, is relevant for the folks that they sell it to. Um, and again, that part is, is something that they have also really embraced, which is the affiliate model for a lot of these groups is how they scale very quickly. Uh, like any startup or any like sort of small technology firm, you've got to be able to iterate very quickly. And so I think that's one of the things that Lockbit's been unfortunately very good at is the ability to iterate, to attract affiliates who have uh, strong technical chops, and then to be able to reinvest those proceeds into continuing their illicit operation. And has that evolution and iteration been both from the standpoint of features of it, as well as evading detection and so forth? Uh, a bit of both. Yeah. I think they've also looked at their business model as far as like how they pay out. Uh, and that's something that for the larger affiliates is really important. Obviously it has to have the technical capacities that those affiliates want. Um, but in addition, uh, they shop around their business that if they've got a victim where they, um, they see a, a significant payday, um, the share of that, uh, which they have to share with the ransomware as a service operator, is something that they follow very closely. And so it's a, it's a bit of both. Uh, and unfortunately, these groups, they tend to be very responsive to market forces. Um, they do what works. They do it up until the point that it doesn't work. Uh, and then they change tactics very quickly. Uh, so for defenders, it's something where um, it unfortunately is that they, they respond to market signals very quickly because it's how they make money. And so Lockbit and a few of the other groups have been obviously, uh, sadly, fairly successful at, at adopting that, that sort of philosophy. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned victimology there a second ago and then right at the top of the podcast also. So let's shift gears and go there and talk victimology. Um, we hear about the common ones and, you know, to me, Probably like other people, healthcare tends to be from a vertical perspective. Like that's the first one that I think of, maybe mostly because it's just so hideous um, from a human perspective. But, you know, so whether or not that's what the data are showing at the top. So what is similar and what has changed in terms of the victimology of these top 
ransomware studies. I'll kick this one over to you, Sean, uh, since that first uh, most prolific ransomware families study that we did a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, so the, the groups themselves are kind of starting to specialize into different areas where they feel like they have an in. And it's not even just the groups, it's also the specific sets of affiliates. So you may have an affiliate who finds they have a knack for attacking a certain vertical or a certain sector. And then those affiliates tend to work with certain ransomware groups. And then now the ransomware itself, it kind of gets linked to certain industries. So for example, right, when you've talked about healthcare, right, uh, Royal Ransomware, they kind of as a group have been the ones who have been targeting healthcare and the education sectors. Right. And, you know, it's an interesting place to, to target because the payouts aren't as large, but, you know, in healthcare and education, the victims are, are highly motivated to, to get services back up and running, which may, you know, force them to pay ransom, even though they don't want to. And part or of that, of course, it's illegal. Yeah. Well, but it's, it's super scary too, because if you've got medical records or you've got student records that are going to get leaked online, like that's, that's really not cool. Obviously, yeah, 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 and then and you I've, know, I've long said that I do not envy the person that has to be the one making that decision. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of go all ivory tower on this and say, yeah, obviously nobody should pay, but none of us, I think, that are on Breaking Badness have ever been the ones that had to make that agonizing decision. But anyway, I'm interrupting. Continue, yeah. Sean. Well, I, to to drive this home, right, like. It's one thing for a private company to say, oh, we are losing X number of dollars per day when we don't get the systems back online. Like, do we decide to pay the ransom or not? But if you are a hospital system and you have patients who can't go in to get screenings, can't go in to see their doctor about a concern, can't get a surgery, right? We're, we're talking about literal lives here in that. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, if we shift gears a little bit, um, other ransomware groups have, you know, had other areas they've been they've seen their success. So Black Basta has has found what they seem is their niche in industrial manufacturing and construction industries. Um, this includes some very very large companies, um, and they seem to be doing well. Whereas like Lockbit and Elf slash uh, what else are they call Black Cat. Um, because they have such a large set of affiliates working with them, they seem to be targeting a much broader set of the market. Um, but it doesn't mean that their own like sub affiliates aren't trying to specialize. Sure. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask both of you to weigh in on this. So it's a very broad question, but what's most worrisome to you in terms of the capabilities we're seeing from these groups, their organization, et cetera. And if you, put yourself in the shoes of a network defender and you're thinking specifically about ransomware, what is it that keeps you up at night? Uh, I'll start with Sean. Uh, well, I mean, I could continue my uh, concerns about these attacks on critical infrastructure, healthcare, local governments, higher education, right? It's, it's, it's one thing for uh, somebody in, in a private sector to deal with this, but if I have to not just worry about myself, but worry about all these nonprofit uh, 
critical infrastructure institutions, institutions that support the, the broader public good, right? Then I have to be, you know, worried about going to my hospital. I have to be worried about, you know, seeing my local government, you know, operate. Like it's, it kind of affects me on a very different level, right? Uh-oh, um, they're coming for you, Sean. Yeah, yes. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I, I would, I'm happy to hear sirens if it means that, you know, ambulances are getting somebody to somebody where they can get some care. Right. To a hospital that's not under ransomware attack, preferably. Yes. Indeed. And just to pick up what Sean was saying, um, I think that's something that's incredibly disconcerting. It was probably three or four years ago where there was a number of groups that at least publicly would state that they wouldn't attack uh, health, like health care systems or hospital yeah, like, systems. Yeah, wasn't there like a almost like a group statement about that? There, there was. And there was, um, it was, again, probably in part um, dealing with the PR, like fallout from other critical infrastructure events like Colonial and JBS, um, or JBL, sorry. It, um, it seems to, at least like in the last 12 months, that red line that they, they said that they would adhere to seems to have largely been erased. Uh, and so the number of account, like attacks that you see against the healthcare system and sort of healthcare adjacent organizations um, has grown significantly. Uh, CLOP is in the last six months um, in large part due to that. Um, but you see a, a much more aggressive stance with these organizations uh, in attacking those types of uh, targets. And that is, as Sean mentioned, like very, very concerning. Yeah, because a lot of these these organizations, they don't have the budget to defend as other organizations could, right? They're being nonprofit. They've got to allocate the resources to helping patients, to making government function, to teaching students. Yeah, so and it, we know how hard this is for companies that have really well-funded security operations, too. So, yeah, kind of your heart goes out to them. Um, I, and, I, do have, I do have one other uh, thing that does worry me. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, and it's uh, if you read some of the other you know recent um, articles that have come out or reports, you know the other ransomware pieces, you know like the Verizon report, which is phenomenal. Everybody needs to read it. Yeah, but as one we of, record this, it came out uh, last week. Yep, one of the things that it stated is the rise of uh, vulnerabilities and supply chain as a primary vector for attack and not just phishing or spear phishing emails. So it's no longer just I need to worry about people sending emails into my company that's going to get them in. It's, oh, they are literally getting in through other holes in the infrastructure I need to keep my business running. And so that's like, you know, another whole worrisome threat. I mean, I suppose it's, you know, as we're improving the the security on our endpoints, we're just seeing the attacks shift. But it's not like phishing's going away. It's now just now these vulnerabilities are also creeping up and causing headaches. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, the rise of additional supply chain types of attacks um, is something I think we're probably going to be talking about on a lot of future episodes of this podcast. Well, that's plenty to keep somebody um, up at night. And, and also, you know, I think as the tools themselves evolve, the cat and mouse game of detection and evasion of detections, 
I guess that, you know, at some level that dynamic may not ever change, but it's, well, it's one of the reasons that we think everybody should be uh, doing forensics on their DNS, because all these things rely on DNS, no matter what else they're doing from a technical perspective. So there's your weekly PSA for DNS. It's always DNS. Um, all right. So as much of a scourge as ransomware clearly is, and we've been talking all about that today, uh, we've also talked about how the fact that especially the top ransomware outfits are pretty clever. So I'm going to ask both of you, I'll start with Sasha this time, but thinking a little more sort of creatively here, but what can legit organizations learn uh, from how these ransomware groups operate? Not just from a cybersecurity standpoint, but you know, when you think about business agility and creativity and all of that stuff, you know, what, if there's a silver lining, uh, maybe there are, um, maybe there are sort of takeaways that can actually make legit businesses better at what they do, even as they, as we all try to defeat these uh, ransomware groups that we're talking about. Yeah, and it sort of it cuts both ways that way, which is these organizations, I think, have taken the playbooks of, um, like, again, legitimate organizations as far as how they grow themselves as a business. Uh, and so when you see them organize themselves to be able to um, do research and development around things like vulnerabilities for supply chain attacks, as we just previously mentioned. Um, that is, uh, that is again, something that's disconcerting, but their, um, their willingness to reinvest in their business and to, um, and to sort of innovate more quickly is, um, it's disconcerting, but it's also, uh, quite frankly, it's, it's something that we need to look at from a defender's perspective as well, which is, doing things just because we've always done them that way um, or using services that we've always just used um, is something that we need to take a, a very close look at because um, they only do what works uh, and obviously they're if they if they weren't successful at it they wouldn't be in business and so from that perspective it's it's something that i think they've taken a lesson from from like other organizations and we need to take a lesson from them as well that's an, a really interesting point that, you know, I don't think any of these groups or probably criminals in general feel particularly constrained by that's the way we've always done it. I don't know, maybe maybe the mob in New Jersey has some of that. Uh, I don't even know if they do. But Sean, what do, you, what do you think? Like if you're running a business, owning a business, like are there things that you're seeing go on with these criminals that you could steal and uh, use to make your own legit business better and i don't mean get into ransomware for heaven's sake i just mean <laughs> you know things about the evolution of their tool sets or the rebranding or whatever it is that that you see going on well I, i'm gonna i'm gonna go a slightly different angle i'm gonna follow on some of what sasha said but if you think about innovation in business right and you've seen a lot of of books and academic studies come out about this from the harvard business school and from others Right, so I'm talking stuff from Christensen, from Drucker, from Porter, from Rees, right? All these books talking about how do you grow and innovate in your enterprise. And what we're seeing in these ransomware groups is them following these playbooks super efficiently. Um, in part because I, they don't care about certain laws, they don't care about certain regulations, so it's untamed market forces. I, I, I'm loath to say that, but it kind of almost feels that way, where these groups are 
innovating in the technology, they're innovating in the business scape, they're trying to find their product market fit, if you will, and trying to determine how they can, you know, get to their outcomes quickly. So from our perspective then, then number one, I have to give them respect for doing this work that they're doing. But number two, if we know that they're doing this classic startup playbook, then you just to go into this business mode of thinking and say, well, there are avenues for attack here that we can run from a business perspective and not just from a technology perspective. And the prime example I will give here is when the brand gets too well known and becomes toxic and they have to rebrand, that still takes time and energy away from these groups that they could be spent otherwise attacking people. So there are different avenues we can think of for how we deal with these uh, various groups and their affiliations. Yeah, excellent point. All right, well, um, well, thank you both for uh, helping folks understand more about what's changed, what's stayed the same. And I, uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, report itself will be linked in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. And so now we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back with both our hoodie ratings for ransomware and uh, then our fun game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Heyo, security nerds, and obviously that's a compliment. We all on the Breaking Badness crew certainly consider ourselves proud security nerds. If you're enjoying this show, why not take a moment to share it with a friend or 20? And if you have another moment, a review and rating will really help us spread the 10 chocolate chip goody love all over the series of tubes. Ooh, I'm not sure that sounded right. Well, anyway, we couldn't do this without you, our audience. We're so glad you're here. And now... Back to the show. All right, welcome back. And usually we do the hoodie rating before we take our break, but I thought let's um, let's change it up a little bit this week. And uh, so now I come back to our hoodie ratings. And usually we do these on individual stories that are more narrow in scope than the whole ransomware thing. So you know, I don't know how you want to approach this, but um, for folks that are new listeners. What we're talking about here is every cybersecurity story or problem that we talk about on Breaking Badness, we give it a hoodie rating from one to 10, where, uh, or zero to 10, I suppose, where zero is this is a non-issue, don't worry about it at all, to 10 hoodies being the most severe kind of event or, um, or malware or what have you. So... I guess you have to sort of compare ransomware against all the other things that defenders are dealing with. So, Sean, I'm going to kick it over to you. What's your hoodie rating for ransomware writ large? There are two kinds of companies in this world. Those who have been attacked by ransomware and those who don't know they have been. Um, but it's, it's challenging because, you know, straight up business email compromise and people just trying to get wire transfers or other sorts of straightforward business fraud is still clearly the lion's share of what most organizations will see. 
However, if they are attacked by ransomware, this could be a business ending situation. So I, I struggle. I think I'm going to give it eight hoodies out of 10. Uh, I'm not going to give it 10 out of 10 because you may not be attacked with a full meal deal from a ransomware gang. But if you do, it is something you need to really take care of. Yeah, and obviously one company's 10 hoodie event could be another company's three hoodie event. Um, it's highly variable. But Sasha, how about you? How many hoodies? I would put it at 8 out of 10 as well. There are a lot of different types of threats that organizations deal with. Uh, BEC attacks, other types of fraud that they have to contend with. Um, but just based on the sheer number of victims uh, and the resources that are required for an organization to protect themselves from these types of attacks, um, I think 8 out of 10 is is warranted. Yeah, seems legit. All right. Well, very good. Thank you both. Um, great discussion around this report that just came out. So with that, we're going to shift now to our game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. So it's probably fairly self-explanatory, but what we do here is we ask each of our guests for one example of something great. That's their gold. Something, uh, piece, something in the way of a piece of advice they would give to listeners and something that just frosts them. That's the grievance part. So uh, let's start with Sasha. Sasha, let's have some gold guidance and a grievance. Sure. Uh, my gold for today is a big shout out to ecrime.ch uh, and Chainalysis. They were fantastic in helping with a lot of the data that's part of the blog. Uh, Ecrime CH in particular does a remarkable job of being able to track a lot of these groups uh, and where their focus is. And so huge shout out to them. Chainalysis as well does um, fantastic work. Uh, so if you haven't seen any of their research around how cryptocurrency, which is part of the ransomware ecosystem, um, facilitates and uh, and enables these groups. And so it's uh, they both do remarkable work and it's uh, it's worth pointing out. That does sound like gold. Uh, excellent. So we'll uh, include links to them in the show notes. All right. What about your guidance? Guidance? Uh, I would say if you think you're alone in this in this sort of environment, you're not. And so there are organizations out there, uh, not-for-profits, that, um, that different industries can reach out to that help provide uh, intelligence and, uh, and information sharing that are really, really important. Uh, in the financial services industry, it's FSISAC. Um, there's the RSAC, which is the retail version of FSISAC. And so contributing to those organizations as well as being members of them, I think is something that's that's important uh, because the more information you have at hand, the better you are able to defend yourselves. Yeah, and in case folks aren't familiar, like can anybody that's in that industry join the ISACs or is there a vetting process? What does that look like? Uh, it depends on the ISAC. But I know there are very there's a new there's a number of them. Some of them um, are very unique as far as the industries that they support. Uh, and so, encourage listeners if it's something that you haven't looked into before, uh, definitely check them out because they are there to help protect uh, and to share information that helps protect you. Yeah, and these um, I've done some work with some of these groups, and it's one of the things that's notable is you've got companies that are all in an industry. So they are on one level competitors with each other, but everybody's in this together from the standpoint of combating cybercrime. And I don't think any 
legitimate company wants to win in business by seeing their competitors get crushed by crime. So, um, so these are really great groups. All right. And uh, what's your grievance for us? That's a good one. Uh, can't say I have many. So uh, if, if anything, I think one of the things that we, um, we have a, as a challenge as an industry uh, is making sure that we have those same sort of silos broken down. Uh, some of these groups, obviously, they operate very efficiently uh, and they collaborate strongly to get what they need. Uh, and so collaboration amongst industry uh, and amongst vendors, I think, is really important to make sure that, that everyone's putting their best foot forward to defend against them. And since you stated that as part of the grievance part, I guess I guess the implication is that we're not always seeing as much of that as we should. It's one of those things we can always do better. I'm not saying we're doing a bad job. It's just one of those things where we should um, continually work together uh, in trust groups and other places to make sure that all the information that can be shared is being shared. Got it. All right, Sean, over to you. Let's start with your gold. Yeah, well, my gold is still kind of an oldie, but I'm going to follow on Sasha here uh, in these trust groups. And I want to say that a lot of this needs to come from the top, right, with clear policies that can help people understand uh, how to work well together. So uh, my gold is still the national cybersecurity strategy document that uh, the Biden administration put out but now two, three months ago. Um, it's still a great document that's got a whole bunch of stuff in it that can help people collaborate better. So I know it's an oldie, but it's still my gold. Golden oldie. And, um, and that document is good reading for anybody, even if your organization is really small. You know, So if folks are thinking, well, that's probably mainly for the giant enterprises out there and stuff, don't assume that to be the case at all. There's, um, there's good learnings in there for all of us. All right, Sean, what's your guidance? So uh, my guidance, well, to, to link on to all of this wonderful uh, ransomware discussions, right? Uh, CLOP has come out, uh, well, people reporting that CLOP, the ransomware group, has likely been aware of and using the MoveIt transfer vulnerability uh, since way back to 2021. So... For anybody who makes use of MoveIt and the wonderful SQL injection that happens inside of it, I uh, highly recommend you patch yesterday, today, as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, uh, if we weren't that's... doing this special episode on the ransomware report, uh, I think the MoveIt phone probably would have been one of the stories we would have picked for this week's episode. So, all right, good stuff. And then what's your grievance? Oh, my grievance. Uh, the Barracuda ESG, um, the appliances. Uh, yeah, uh, what did Barracuda say about them? The impacted ESG appliances must be immediately replaced regardless of patch version level. Barracuda's and recommendation is full replacement of all impacted ESGs. Yeah, and this is not like some small subset, like, oh, you know, kind of like a recall where there was a bad batch. This is, is it all of them or substantially all of them? Uh, the, the affected firmware is like from version 5.1 up to version 9. So it's, wow. it is a very large set, right? Uh, Barracuda has said they will be providing replacement products to impacted customers at no cost. Wow. That, that is another, that's I mean, a huge story that we're just sort of doing by the by here. I mean, it's, I'm, uh, I'm putting it under the grievance, but it's, 
you know, I, I have a grievance well, that we guidance. have to that we have to you know rip them out. But it's you know Barracuda is doing the right thing here, and I do appreciate all the efforts they're doing to keep their customers safe. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and uh, I've I've known some folks over there, and definitely good people. So uh, wow, that's that's a rough day for their customers, and obviously hearts go out to everybody that works there because that's that's pretty awful to have to deal with. Well, Sasha, it's been so great to have you as a guest on Breaking Badness. Hope you'll be able to repeat sometime. And uh, so thank you. And Sean, of course, as always, just coming with the truth bombs and the wisdom. So, um, so love that. So anyway, thanks again. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks again. You too. Thanks, Dan. So long. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>